This week on the Green Left News Podcast, Invasion Day rallies across the country and the summer of solidarity with Gaza. This podcast was recorded on stolen land. Green Left is committed to supporting struggles for First Nations justice. Hello and welcome to the first episode of the podcast for 2024. I'm a Green Left journalist, Isaac Nellist, and I'm excited to be back bringing you the latest news from across the country and around the world every week. So let's kick it off with uh, the Invasion Day marches. It's been about a month since our last episode and a whole lot has happened in that time. So we're going to sum up some of the kind of biggest political news of the summer uh, without going into too much detail because otherwise there's too much uh, to cover in one episode. So kicking off with the Invasion Day rallies on January 26, tens of thousands of people took to the streets to oppose the official celebration of colonization and genocide that's also known as Australia Day and to show their support for First Nations rights. The huge turnout at the rally shows that the movement has not been demoralized by the no vote in last year's voice referendum and First Nations people are still facing systematic dispossession and genocide with record numbers of children being removed from families and more black people being killed in custody. Both Labor and the coalition are united in supporting the destruction of precious heritage sites by mining companies and refuse to support independent Senator Lydia Thorpe's bill to implement the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People. The rally in Gadigal land or Sydney gave family members of deaths in custody victims a platform to speak. And one of these was Lachlan Wright, who's the father of Jai Wright, who was killed after a police car hit the bicycle he was riding in Everly in Inner West Sydney back in 2022. A coronial inquest into Jai's death began on January 29, but was suspended by the coroner on January 30 and referred to the Department of Public Persecutions to determine whether criminal charges should be laid against the officer who hit him. Jai's parents said the referral has given them a lot of hope and that they have faith they will get justice for Jai. Let's hope they do and that the families of the 558 other First Nations people who've been killed in custody eventually get justice too. But that will require more pressure from the grassroots movements and that's why it was great to see huge numbers, particularly lots of young people, turning out to march on Invasion Day and showing that the movement will not back down until we have real justice, land rights and sovereignty for First Nations people. Another really important part of the Invasion Day rallies was the inspiring solidarity between First Nations and Palestinian people. This was reflected in the banners, placards, uh, Palestinian contingents and speeches at the rallies, with a lot of people wearing kafirs or carrying Palestine flags. And at the march on Gadigal country in Sydney, Palestinian Khaled Ghanem told Green Left that Palestinians strongly identify with First Nations people's struggles against colonisation and the stealing of their land. He said the same thing is happening in Palestine. First Nations activists have spoken at pretty much all of the weekly rallies against Israel's genocide in Gaza across the country, and they're building strong links and support between these two uh, crucial decolonial struggles. Continue. Yeah. I want everyone to put their fists 
to the end. All our First Nations people, all our Arab, Palestinian, Muslim brothers and sisters, all our non-Indigenous brothers and sisters, we are here in one fight, not for peace. You will not get peace until you get justice. Tens of thousands of people are continuing to march week in, week out for Palestine. As Israel's genocidal war on Gaza approaches four months, with almost 30,000 Palestinians killed, including 10,000 kids, there is no sign of the huge solidarity movement in Australia and around the world stopping. Despite heatwave conditions in many cities throughout December and January, thousands continued to march. The rallies have been energised by the case brought against Israel by South Africa in the International Court of Justice, which we'll talk about more in the World News section, as well as expressing outrage with Foreign Minister Penny Wong, who in January travelled to Israel and shook hands with the perpetrators of genocide. As well as these weekly rallies, there's continua- continuation of the other smaller protests and direct actions that have been taking place. One of these recently was the inspiring blockade of Web Dock in Nam or Melbourne by Unionists for Palestine and other supporters, which began on January 21st and lasted around four days. And that picket was aimed to prevent workers from unloading Zim ships. And Zim is an Israeli-owned shipping company that publicly supports the Israeli military. Despite heavy-handed repression by the police, including using pepper spray and physical intimidation, the picket continued. Port of Fremantle in Western Australia was also blockaded on January 29, another Zim ship. And there's been a whole host of other actions taking place as part of the Solidarity Movement, including healthcare workers taking action, blockades outside of weapons manufacturers, including Talis and Ferrer, and protests outside MPs' offices, including Jed Kearney, as well as community actions in suburbs such as Dandenong, Broadmeadows, Blacktown, the Blue Mountains, and loads more. And all of these smaller actions are putting a lot of pressure on local councils uh, and politicians to stand up against the Albanese government's support for the genocide in Gaza. Residents in Mullabimba on Newcastle actually declared Gaza as their sister city as a show of support for Palestinians. And there's also been a lot of pressure on unions to, to do more for the Palestine movement, including construction, forestry, mining and energy union National Secretary Christy Kane calling out the Australian Council of Trade Unions Secretary Sally McManus at a rally in Borloo or Perth. I'm hoping this message goes a long way because what we're seeing is not a war. What we're seeing quite clearly is a massacre, is genocide and is apartheid and I will call it out on behalf of the union movement. If others don't, I will call it out. And I call out Sally McManus and say, where are you today? You should be leading this. You should be out there standing shoulder to shoulder with our Palestinian brothers and sisters for justice and for peace. And former Geelong Trades Hall Secretary Tim Goodwin calling on unions to take a side. And you've heard the previous speakers say, 247 Palestinians killed each day. 48 mothers 
killed every two hours. 117 children, 117 children every five hours are slaughtered, are slaughtered. And we stand by and watch. Well, not on our watch, not on the Maritime Union, not on the CFMEU's watch, not on the Blue Collar Unions. We're not going to stand by. We're going to grow this. We're going to keep growing until we get justice for our Palestinian brothers and sisters. You can listen to Green Left's full interview with Tim Gooden on the podcast feed or at greenleft.org.au forward slash videos. There's so much happening in the Palestine Solidarity Movement. It's so inspiring to see people taking action all across the country in all these different communities. Uh, And there's too much to really fit in one episode of this podcast, but we're going to continue reporting every week in a bit more detail as we continue throughout the year. Oxfam's annual inequality report, released in January, revealed that the world's ultra-rich have become even richer over 2023. The world's five richest men have doubled their wealth compared to last year, from US $405 billion to $869 billion US. And while the poorest 5 billion people have suffered a fall in income, the richest 1% own, own almost half of all financial assets. At the same time, the monopolization and market concentration has accelerated and the global north, which is the rich countries of North America, Western Europe and Australia, uh, which have about 20% of the world's population, control about 70% of the world's wealth. Australia's three richest people, Gina Reinhart, Andrew Forrest and Harry Triggerboff, have more than doubled their wealth since 2020 at a staggering rate of $1.5 million per hour. It's in this context that Labor is pushing ahead with the Stage 3 tax cuts, albeit improved slightly over the Coalition's initial proposal. So the changes that Labor's introduced mean that people earning less than $146,000 will pay less tax than the original proposal, while those who earn more than $146,000 will pay slightly more, although they'll still be paying significantly less tax. And despite these slight improvements, the stage three tax cuts still represent a massive transfer of wealth from public uh, to private hands. And there's no assistance that's been announced for those on welfare payments. And if you're earning less than $45,000, it's basically peanuts. The people who are struggling the most in the cost of living crisis are not being supported by these stage three tax cuts. It's not enough just to tinker with the cuts. They have to be scrapped entirely and funds redirected to public services such as health, education, welfare payments, and also an action on climate. Since October, DP World, which is Australia's largest port terminal operator, has refused to negotiate an enterprise bargaining agreement with maritime workers at terminals in Mianjin or Brisbane, Gadigal Land and Borloo, Perth. The Maritime Union of Australia wants a two-year deal including 8% per annum pay rises with no trade-offs to conditions. In response to DP World refusing to negotiate, workers have taken industrial action. In a statement, the union said the MUA will not tolerate this blatant mistreatment of our members by this international multi-billion dollar company. 
and MUA and eight electrical trades union members also went on strike at Geelong Port over the 1st and 2nd of January. And Geelong Port's refusing to offer a decent pay rise after their previous uh, enterprise agreement expired in October. Port workers are also fighting to defend their hard-fought-for four-day work week. They currently work 10.5-hour days on a rotating basis, but management wants to shift to a nine-day fortnight, so five days and then four days. David Ball, who's the MUA Victorian Branch Assistant Secretary, told Green Left that the members are determined to defend their conditions and keep up with the rising cost of living. Also in Geelong, LGBTIQ activists celebrated the opening of a new rainbow crossing, which was finally completed in December after six years of campaigning. Geelong Socialist Alliance councillor Sarah Hathaway told Green Left that having a visible sign of support for the queer community is a really positive step. New research into drug-related deaths at music festivals found that 64 people died across the country from July 2000 to the end of 2019. The report was released after a mass overdose at NAM's Hard Mission Festival on January 6, renewing calls for pill testing to be made legal in Victoria and New South Wales. Researchers found that most drug-related deaths were potentially preventable if pill testing and other harm reduction interventions had been available. It said most drug-related deaths were due to MDMA toxicity and the use of multiple substances at the same time was a common factor. Experts have shown that pill testing results in reduced drug use and is far more effective than heavy policing or the use of drug dogs. And so in some sad news, uh, legendary investigative journalist, author and filmmaker John Pilger passed away on December 31st, 2023. He should be remembered and honoured not just for his impressive body of work, but for being a brave and at times near lone voice for truth against power. Green Left is proud to have had a strong bond with Pilger and has published many articles by him over the years. He will be remembered by all those who know that facts and history matter and that only through struggle will people's movements ever have a chance of winning justice. And in some alarming but not too surprising news, 2023 was the hottest year on record, with every day being at least one degree hotter than the pre-industrial period. The European Commission's Copernicus Climate Change Service predicts that the year to February 2024 will be at least 1.5 degrees hotter, so pretty much already breaking the Paris Agreement's goal of limiting warming to 1.5 degrees. The failure of the International Climate Summit, the most recently COP28, to phase out fossil fuels has emboldened governments around the world, including Australia's, to continue burning coal and gas. Now, we live in a country with an abundance of solar, geothermal and wind power that should all be part of a just transition to renewable energy. And 2024 has to be the year that governments finally act on climate before it's too late. Now, let's hear what's happening around the world. Back in December, South Africa went to the International Court of Justice, or ICJ, with a compelling case accusing Israel of committing genocide in Gaza. It provided evidence of genocidal acts committed by Israel, such as mass killings, 
forced displacement of Gazans, restricting food and water supplies, and life-saving medical supplies and equipment. It also provided 10 pages of genocidal comments made by Israeli leaders, including Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. This case was a huge pressure point after months of weekly protests and campaigning by Palestinian activists and supporters, and it gave some hope that there might be justice. It also had strong implications for the United States and Australia, both of which are complicit in Israel's war on Gaza. On January 26, the ICJ handed down its ruling. By 15 to 2, the court accepted that the catastrophic humanitarian situation in the Gaza Strip is at serious risk of deteriorating further before the court renders its final judgment. It ruled that Israel take all measures to prevent its military from committing genocidal acts, permit basic humanitarian aid to Gaza, and submit a report on how it was abiding by these measures within one month. Unfortunately, the ruling stopped short of calling for a ceasefire or for Israel to end its bombing of Gaza. Israel responded to this ruling by accusing members of the United Nations Relief and Works Agency, or the UNRWA, which is the main group organizing aid and assistance for Gazans, of being part of the October 7 attack conducted by Hamas. The US, Australia and others were quick to cut funding from the UNRWA, meaning it will be forced to stop providing aid to Gaza. I mean, this decision makes it pretty clear where the Australian government stands. Four months of genocidal attacks against Palestinians launched by Israel, and it does nothing. And one accusation by Israel, which is not the most credible source at the moment, against a UN body assisting Gazans, and it immediately acts. You can clearly see where the Australian government's allegiances lie. The Australian government's also made it clear that it stands behind its US and British allies in the AUKUS military alliance by supporting their joint airstrike attacks on Houthi resistance fighters in Yemen. Multiple rounds of strikes have been launched in the past month in response to Houthi fighters targeting Israeli ships in the Red Sea, and the Houthi, or Ansar Allah, began their attacks in mid-November in an attempt to pressure Israel into stopping its genocide in Gaza. More than $1 trillion of goods pass through the Red Sea every year, and US President Joe Biden has also relisted the Houthi as a specially designated terrorist group. Australia's Defence Minister Richard Miles said on January 23 that Australia, together with five other countries, supported the additional attacks, which he said were proportionate and necessary strikes against eight Houthi targets in Yemen. He said a coalition of like-minded countries committed to upholding the rules-based order is determined to hold the Houthis accountable. The airstrikes are particularly horrible in the context of the Saudi-led war on Yemen, which is also backed by the US and Britain, and has destroyed much of the country. Rich Western countries are supporting each other in maintaining the genocide on Palestinians and trying to protect their imperialist interests in the Middle East at all costs, even if it means starting more wars. It's pretty striking, really, to see how blatantly the Western countries are acting in support of genocide. Thankfully, thankfully we do have a powerful resistance popping up around the world, including the uh, Houthi blockade of the Red Sea. Now, in the United States, young people are rebelling against the government's support for Israel's war. A December poll found that young Americans are far more critical of the US's support for Israel than older people. 
So among 18 to 29-year-olds, 46% said they sympathise more with Palestinians, compared with 27% for Israel. The New York Times reported that few of them believe Israelis are serious about peace with Palestinians. Nearly half say that Israel is intentionally killing civilians, and nearly three quarters say Israel is not taking enough precautions to avoid civilian casualties. A majority oppose additional economic and military aid to Israel. So it's obviously not enough, but it shows that uh, we're going somewhere, particularly with younger people. The stats are similar for young Jewish and black Americans. The New York Times said that images shared on social media were having a big impact on opening young people's eyes to what is happening in Gaza and providing an insight into what's really happening. Now over to Canada and an abuse of process hearing started in British Columbia on January 12 against the Royal Canadian Mounted Police and their infamous Community Industry Response Group, who we've reported about on previous episodes. Um, so the abuse of process hearing is about violence inflicted on Indigenous land defenders who were opposing construction of the coastal gas link fracked gas pipeline across unceded Wet'suwet'en territory. The trial relates to the conviction on January 12 of three Indigenous land defenders who were arrested in 2021 and found guilty of criminal contempt for violating a 2018 injunction served on behalf of the company. So that injunction from 2018 prevented anyone from uh, blocking access routes or work sites used for pipeline construction. Um, The first thing that emerged in this hearing was that the RCMP had deployed snipers against the land defenders as part of its lethal overwatch strategy and other forms of violence were deployed or threatened against the land defenders who were sheltering in a tiny house on the site. They also uh, brought up explicit statements that were caught on tape, including one officer comparing an indigenous person they had arrested to an ogre and others calling land defenders orcs. And this and other racist language caught on tape is indicative of the racism within the ranks and the colonial history of the mounted police. Now over to Aotearoa, New Zealand, uh, where the Fair Pay Agreements Act was scrapped by the new Conservative National Party government on December 20. The bill to scrap the FPA was rushed through Parliament without consultation and has immediate effect. The union movement has expressed fierce opposition to the government's actions, with the New Zealand Council of Trade Unions President Richard Wagstaff telling the media the NZCTU was categorically not consulted on repealing fair pay agreements by the new minister. The FPA was introduced in October 2022 by the former Labour government, aiming to introduce sectoral bargaining so that unions could bargain for industry-wide minimum pay and conditions. The FPA gave unions more power to bargain for and represent workers, with Matt Danaher from Etu Union saying the new government has deliberately ignored the advice of officials and is ramming this change through under urgency because of an ideological opposition to the idea of workers having a say over terms and conditions. He said this isn't just a policy change, it's a step back for workers' rights and fair pay in New Zealand. Now, some more union news with the union representing pilots and cabin crew at Jetstar Japan beginning a coordinated strike action ahead of Christmas uh, after a breakdown in collective bargaining negotiations with management. The Jetstar Crew Association commenced industrial action on December 22 
and by December 24, Jetstar management was forced to cancel two domestic flights between Narita and Fukuoka. The strike lasted for a further 10 days and has led to significant disruptions of domestic services throughout the Christmas and New Year period. Thousands of people took to the streets in the Cusco region of southern Peru on January 24, protesting the government's move to privatise ticket sales for the famous Machu Picchu archaeological site. Protesters are opposing the government's decision to give private company Joinus the contract to sell entrance tickets to Machu Picchu. Joinus will charge a 3.9% commission per ticket and stands to make about 12 million Peruvian solas, which is roughly 48 million Australian dollars a year in commissions alone. Despite Machu Picchu's maintenance being only about $1.2 million a year. The government is also raising daily visitor limits to the site from 3,800 to 4,500, despite the existing overcrowding and erosion problems. So they're essentially guaranteeing more profits for joiners. Protesters in Cusco waved flags, honked horns and chanted, Machu Picchu is not for sale, while other protesters blocked the railway line between Machu Picchu and the nearby towns. Unions in the Cusco region started an indefinite strike from January 25, which was met with police violence the next day, including using tear gas at close range. Protesters and strikers have remained defiant, vowing to continue until the privatisation is reversed. And some good news as an Algerian court has acquitted university lecturer and scientist Kamal Esat on all charges related to his opposition to a lead and zinc mine on Algeria's Mediterranean coast following an international campaign of solidarity. According to a January 7 statement released by his supporters, Isat was accused of undermining the national interest and undermining national unity after he expressed reservations over the quality of the impact study on the Tala Hamza mine drawn up in 2020. He criticised the impact study for ignoring the scientifically and historically proven risks of imminent heavy metal poisoning for the population and the impact on the national water supply. The mine was given the go-ahead in May last year and began drilling in November, but since the 2019-21 to protest movement, the Algerian government has cracked down on journalists, political activists, trade unionists and environmentalists. But despite this, opponents of the Tala Hamza mine will continue to campaign against it. So you can read more about all of these stories that we've talked about today, as well as watch videos or read detailed analysis and book and music reviews at greenleft.org.au. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please consider becoming a Green Left supporter today from $5 a month and donating to our 2024 Fighting Fund to help us continue reporting on workers, climate and social justice movements. Go to greenleft.org.au support to help us out. Your support is greatly appreciated. As always, you can check out our activist calendar at greenleft.org.au forward slash events to find out about the upcoming protests, rallies, forums, cultural events, and more that are happening in your town and city. Make sure to check the calendar for upcoming Palestine rallies. And the big event coming up this year is the Eco-Socialism 2024 conference, which is supported by Green Left. Now, there's going to be more details to be announced shortly, uh, but the date is uh, June 29 to 30. 
to the last weekend of June, and it's going to be in Borloo or Perth. So if you're in Perth, definitely come to the conference, or if you're elsewhere, consider saving up some money to buy a ticket to fly over, because it's going to be a really incredible conference bringing together voices from across the Indo-Pacific, um, socialist activists and others from, from across the world. Um, and Eco-Socialism 2023 was an incredible experience, an incredible conference, and this is sure to be just as inspiring and uh, informative. Uh, so head to ecosocialism.org.au and we'll continue to announce more details such as speakers, uh, panels, etc. Uh, on this podcast in the, in the months leading up to it. Um, so thanks to Sean Valenzuela for the music and editing of this podcast. You can find his work by going to at Little Archer Beats or clicking the link in the description. And remember to follow at Green Left Online on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Threads and TikTok for the latest news and analysis. Thanks for listening.